So one of the questions um, that comes up for me for time to time is where can we go uh, to encounter the kindness of God when it seems like he's being quiet or, or maybe even, even silent? And how, how, do we, how do we engage and how do we respond? What do we do? Um, because I think it's, it's worth noting that the entire Christian thing is founded on the idea that God reveals himself, that God speaks. That's the whole thing is that we believe that we don't have to figure out how do we like fight our way to God? How do we do all the right stuff? How do we climb the right hill? Um, how do we like make him talk to us? The whole thing is that God is happy and thrilled to show us who he is and to give us his word, right? And we believe that, that we have his word in scripture. The word of God came and dwelt among us and we called him Jesus moved into the neighborhood in flesh and blood. I mean, like the word of God is like the whole thing. You know, his spirit lives in us and, and it is normal to expect that we hear the voice of God on a regular basis. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, I would hope that a regular like part of your life is that it's marked by you experiencing the voice of God. And there are seasons, sometimes long ones, when it feels like he's quiet and maybe even silent. You know, have you ever like asked someone a question on the phone and they took some time to think about it and you weren't sure if they were still there or not? I think sometimes walking with God can feel like that. And often we aren't super equipped to know how to engage in those spaces, especially, not only, but especially when the pressure's on, when, when life is hard, when things uh, feel disorienting, um, when we feel like what life is giving us, we don't have the right categories for and can't hold well. And there's a, like one place in scripture, for example, that I want to look at where they have a response. Like, what do we do when it feels like life is extremely hard and God is being silent? Here in, in Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is found in him. I think it's interesting that like the author of, of that psalm is struggling, life, lots of pressure coming on him, feeling like he, he's going to fall at any moment and feels like God isn't showing up. And what he has to say is, if God is going to be silent right now, so am I. Oh, my soul, wait in silence for the Lord. That's, that's his response is if God is going to be quiet right now, maybe something that I could, I could develop is the ability to be quiet 
with him. Now, I, I do not know about your walk, but I know that there's enough people in this room, and I know there's hundreds of people online and, and campus in Benton and all that, and some of us are absolutely experiencing the silence of God and I'm wondering where he's at and wondering when he's going to start speaking. I also know that all of us need to know how to develop the ability to just be with God, words or not to know how to just be with him. But that tends to struggle and push against um, what we are good at as a culture and as a Christian tradition um, in our part of the world. And I just, I want to take you through um, something that has helped me uh, think about how to grow and where we need to grow in the spiritual life. Um, this is something that I, I walked the staff through uh, maybe a couple of months ago. And, um, and I used in a sermon about 10 years ago. Now, I know that not everyone remembers everything I said 10 years ago. But for those of you that have come in the last 10 years, um, this is helpful. And really, I, I, I come back to this somewhat regularly in my own life um, and find helpful. Also, this is good note-taking material. If you're a note-taker, get ready. Um, and I, I, I want to talk about there's two major tensions that we kind of live in in our spiritual life. So you could draw like a bit of an XY axis there. Um, that could get you going. Um, the, the first tension is the tension between head and heart. And that both are good, both are from God, um, that some of us are made thinkers. You know what I mean? Like we're going to process things in our mind. We're gonna, we want to be rational, logical, um, God is logical. He is rational. That's all good stuff. Um, those things are his idea. Uh, but we also have a heart. We ha we're made with feelings. Um, God, by the way, is emotional. We see God's emotions come out in scripture regularly. He's made us as emotional beings. Um, and so we have this tension, though, between head and heart. Um, and most of us have a lean one way or the other. I'm betting that you have one. So just quick show of hands. Where are my people that are a little more in their head. All right. Okay. Where are my people that are a little more in their heart? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and, and sometimes these people um, drive each other a little crazy, don't they? Yeah. That's just part of life, you know? Um, and okay. So that's, that's one tension that we have to manage in our walk with God. Another one um, that's maybe a little less familiar to us is the tension between certainty You know, the things that we know, that we know, that we know, and mystery. Now, this one is tougher for us. Now, certainty is the stuff, like I said, that we know, that we know, that we know. Things that I can say, things that I have a statement about, things that I have a clear thought about. But then there's mystery. We are talking about God after all, right? And these are the things that we know that we don't know. These are the things that we know that are bigger than us, that we're never going to be able to nail down, boil down, that we're never going to be able to wrap our heads or our hearts around. They're just more than we are. And all that we can do really to engage in mystery is come up to the edge of our understanding and be in awe. Be, let awe Take us outside of ourselves and up into worship because it's more than we are. It is mystery. I will never understand God. It, it, this, um, in scripture, it talks about your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I cannot boil you down and make you understandable. 
But some of us are, are kind of geared for this. Some of us are kind of geared for that. And really, our tradition um, in, in Christianity, in, in this sort of stream, we're much better at the certainty. We'll come back to that later. We're pretty weak on mystery. But I think it's interesting how these things kind of play together. So when head and certainty, when they start working together, uh, what we get is theology. Now, um, the, the logi, that, that's where we get the word like logic from, um, also means the word word. When we, in John, when he says the word became flesh, um, he's bouncing off of that word. Um, theo is God. So these are, this is the logic of God. These are the words that we have about God. Theology is absolutely important. And everybody has theology. Nobody doesn't have theology. If someone says, I don't think we should have theology, that's theology, by the way. So they're kind of, yeah, yeah, they're kind of stuck with it, right? Um, we all have theology. We all have things that we think about God, things that we feel like we're fairly certain about. Um, but when certainty and heart get together, what you get is you get passion. You get deep feelings. You know, the, the heart knows something. The heart has experienced something that it, it like an encounter, and it goes to lean into that with, with passion. You'll hear words down here like, um, like on fire. Someone is on fire for the Lord right now, you know, and they're kind of growing down in this zone. I would say that in my own growth, this was my first major like move forward um, when I was like 16 and encountered the presence of God in a, in a fresh way. I really grew in terms of my passion for God. Um, now, uh, when heart and mystery meet, um, what we tend to get in here is a deep inner life. Um, you'll hear words like wisdom, that this is like a deep well. These are people that talk slower than you want them to, right? Because they're fine. The mystery of God, we're not in a hurry, you know? Like, and in my heart, we can just be with him. And these people drive these people nuts. <laughs> and vice versa, right? This is, these are your Yodas, you know? Like, right? And, and, and they kind of boil. To, anyway, and so there's this deep well, this like wisdom, this deep water, inner life um, kind of thing. So it tends to be kind of slower paced sort of stuff. Um, head and mystery, when those things interact, and for lots of reasons I don't have time to get into here, when we know something, but we're not worried about like the things that we want to like define about God, we're worried about like the bigness of God, <clears throat> what that tends to result in is social action. Um, these are people that want to get to work in the world, and they tend, they tend to take Jesus seriously at his command, um, to, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to be with the widow. Um, they, they tend to see uh, injustice and want to, want to do something about it. Um, these are the prophets in our Bible, especially the minor prophets, deeply concerned over here. Uh, and, and so... It, um, these things tend to play together in interesting ways, though. Part, part of how I want to address this, though, is that they need each other. We need each other. And what tends to happen is we find our lean, maybe our natural bent, and where we've experienced God. You experience God there, and so you start to grow and invest in that area, but people forget about the others. 
And then what happens is they find other people that kind of have the same lean as them, and they collect together, and they grow maybe into a whole church, maybe even a whole denomination that is good at one or two, but forgets about the other ones. And then when they become disconnected from each other, they become immature. They become immature. Part of our growth is that we tend to grow in the things that are natural for us first, but for maturity, we need to grow in the things that are not natural for us, right? Um, and so what happens when theology gets disconnected from the whole, um, theology is good, good, good. When it, gets, when it gets disconnected, what we get is what we would call maybe rationalism, where Christian maturity is all about like agreement on, that you can find on paper. I can't get that S to look like a good S. There we go. Rationalism. Like, Christian maturity is, can you answer this theology test correctly? Can we agree on all of these points or not? If you cannot agree on all of these, you have work to do. Not me, by the way, always you, right? Because I am certain, right? And you clearly need some more certainty, you know? And this can become kind of harsh and cold. Um, this can become very judgmental and ich. Um, by the way, all of these that are disconnected result in being judgmental. Um, but that, that's kind of where that zone is. The, uh, Christianity is all about the right answers. Have you ever encountered a Christian like that? I need a little more vocal feedback today. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, when passion, good, 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 when it gets disconnected from the others, what you get is emotionalism. Where Christian maturity is graded on how emotional you are, graded on how passionate you are by itself. And if you aren't very passionate today, you have backslid somehow, right? And you need to like ramp it up. Often people end up feeling the need to like fake it in those environments because that's how you know if it's real is if you're having emotional experiences. Like I said, I, I really grew in passion, especially in my late teen years. Um, and, you know, the, that was fantastic in many ways. But I really ended up over here, where I, I kind of knew God only in the context of if I was feeling it or not. You know? And that can become unhealthy in its own way. Um, whole movements, denominations, whatever, can kind of camp out sort of there, and it gets, it gets icky. Um, so inner life. Uh, when this kind of gets separated um, from everything else, as good and wonderful as it is, um, as much literature as we have in our own scripture that are like this, if it leans out, what you get, we could call it a couple things that are a little harder to spell, like esoteric mysticism, and I, I'm not going to spell that. Um, so, so maybe we could call it like quietism, where I'm, go I'm, just, going, I'm just going to be quiet. I don't have anything to say. Because I don't, I don't have any certainty. I only have mystery. And I'm just going to kind of be with God in here. You can be with God in there. Whatever that is, whatever you believe, whatever you think is fine. Because I can't tell you what's right and wrong really for you. I can only kind of tell you about me. And, and so I'm going to be quiet. My spiritual life is going to be entirely private and contained. And probably the same for you. And I hope that goes well for you. And you kind of just get like big, vague words that don't really mean anything. Like, we should just all love each other, which everyone agrees with. But what, you, what we get with that kind of love is, is we should just all like never step on each other's toes. 
you know, and it gets super, well, quiet. With me? Okay. Moving on. Social action. When this gets disconnected, what you get is a social gospel um, that says that your maturity is entirely graded based on what you do for others. Um, mainly in terms of justice, which is incredibly important. Like I said, the, I could pummel us all with scripture all day long. You know, like Jesus uh, hammers this regularly. He lives into it and he shows the joy that it can bring. His brother James says, faith without works is dead, dead. And then he says, and can such faith save a person? I notice in evangelical circles, that gets left off because the, because the implied answer is no. <laughs> no, right? Unless we are living out the gospel to change the world, addressing the, the issues of justice in the world, we probably don't have real faith, right? But when that gets disconnected, what it becomes is a social gospel, which really loses its sense of grace. And it all becomes about how you need to earn your relationship with God by doing for others, even very, very important and good things in his name. They can get separated from each other. And then what happens is these groups, they go to war with each other. They go to war with each other and they kind of drive each other crazy. And even social action people, you know, we're celebrating Martin Luther King's discipleship to Jesus this weekend, right? And tomorrow, I mean, you know, maybe the best example of a prophet our country has ever had, right? And, and here's the deal. My tradition was good over here and fought him because he was over here, right? It's only until after he dies that we're like, you know, we should, we should be excited about that guy. That was convenient. Yeah. And, you know, because he was, in, a lot of times in our stream, and I know I'm kind of lumping you into my own experience, so I'm sorry if you've had a very different experience, just hang with me for a minute. We're strong in certainty. Mystery, we don't know what to do with. And usually what happens when someone is experiencing pain and disorientation and discomfort in their life with God, they, natural, they double down on what they know. So they press further into what they know, which is the only thing that they could do because it's the only thing they have. And when they don't find that that gives them what they need, they can decide that the whole thing's bunk. The whole Christianity thing doesn't have anything really stable in it. And really the move... I think can be to figure out how are we going to grow like a little bit at a time in our weakest areas and kind of become wholehearted. Look, I want all of it. I want all the passion, all the theology, all the social action and justice. I want all of the inner life, but it tends to need to hold together if it's going to be mature so that we can love the Lord, our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But this is quite the challenge. So in my own life, you know, I ran the, the good things that God had given me as far as I could until things started to get hard in a way that there were not ways to engage over here. My tradition ran dry. You know, certainty, you know, the theology thing, on my, on my bookshelf, I have a whole set of books that look like this. The certainty side produces these kinds of books. The Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospel. You know, light reading. Right? And you can look up a topic. Um, Son of David, uh, synagogue, um, 
You can talk about table fellowship and what does it mean to be a teacher. You can talk about temple. You can talk about the temptations of Jesus. You can talk about textual criticism, your favorite topic for lunch later. We can talk about the transfiguration, the triumphal entry. Um, We can talk about wisdom. We can talk about women and what the Bible has to say about women. We can talk about the world. Um, And, you know, this this is the kind of work that certainty produces, which is incredibly helpful, especially when I don't know what I'm going to talk to you guys about next Sunday, right? I noticed, though, that when I needed to grow down here, and I was trying to find people that were not from the Protestant tradition, that that were Catholic or Orthodox, that were not from the charismatic or the evangelical tradition, their books looked different. Can I show you a book that I'm reading right now called Encounters with Silence. Small. You know why? Mystery. Fewer words are better sometimes. I'm not even finished with it. I can tell you I'm going to have to read this a few more times because... I get a couple paragraphs in and I start crying. And I need to like put it down and like sit in it for a little bit. The speed is different. And I think sometimes we can say, man, growing in something like silence. The speed of God. We're talking about how, how God walks at a slower pace than, he, than, than we do. And how can we join him in that? And sometimes it's not just about speed. Sometimes it's about space. Creating space for God. I was talking with a, a man in our congregation, wonderful leader. He's in his late 80s. And he was talking about that in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, he's skipping his lunch. Um, and, uh, and he was saying, I can't, I can't miss much more than that and stay alive. You know, he's a real skinny guy. Um, and so he's skipping his lunch and he says, I'm just sitting with God. And he, he welled up with tears telling me about it. I'm just sitting with God. We, we don't know what to do with silence. We know how to fill time and space. We don't know how to create time and space. Feels very different. But, but listen, if we're, if we're going if, if to be like Jesus, we have to figure this out. Um, Luke uh, chapter 5. Jesus is in this amazing season of ministry. Just healed somebody. Like, that's a thing. And Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. Because go show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices, the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing, as a testimony to them. Jesus heals a guy for ministry. This is like time to like, you know, like, like shoot the fireworks off, get everyone's attention, like fill the space with big, exciting stuff. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him. So Jesus is increasing in busyness. He's increasing in attention and even influence and power. They came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But, but is an interesting word there. That means in opposition to that previous statement, but Jesus often, can you say that word with me again? Often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That when this 
was going bananas. Jesus righting wrongs in the world. He didn't want to keep going without more of this. He didn't want more of that without more of this. So he hit the pause button and withdrew often to lonely places to be with the Lord. The practice of silence is not something that I grew up being familiar with. And I think that as a congregation, we are, we are trying to grow in this zone a little bit. It's hard. It's a stretch. And it's not just about quieting the external noise. It's about quieting the internal noise. I don't know what to do without noise most of the time. Did anybody grow up in a home where there was just a TV always on? It was just always on. Has that accelerated or decelerated? Accelerated. Oh my gosh. We could spend the entire day just watching the next YouTube video and not make any space for silence. But the practice of silence immediately, A, you know, you may hear that and be like, so what am I supposed to do? Do I sit in a room and say, ohm, like how does this work? Like does that feel kind of like hippie new agey? I don't know what to do. Um, and, and look, look, here's the thing. There are deep streams in Christianity that if you're going to grow into them, it will mean things that look a little different. And so I find how the most helpful way for me to practice this just as an individual is to set a timer. Maybe start out with two minutes, maybe grow into eight minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And just give God my un divided attention. Different than Eastern meditation, which is more about emptying the mind. This is more about focusing the mind on the presence of God and just being with him. And as my mind drifts, it's called monkey mind. Have you ever heard of monkey mind? You sit there, try to concentrate on something, and all you can think about is how you should have gotten more um, crunchy peanut butter at the store and about how your neighbor uh, won't bring in his trash can and about how that drives you crazy and that you need to text uh, your spouse um, as soon as you have a chance. Do you know what I'm talking about? So maybe it's helpful to have a little pad of paper and if you need to do something, just write down what you need to do and set it aside. But in that space of being quiet before God, things will come up. Boredom, maybe. Maybe anger. Maybe joy. As your mind drifts, I find it helpful to say something like the word Jesus. Bring me back to you. It's, I say Jesus, and it kind of brings me back to him. And a thousand times that my mind wanders is a thousand times I get to come back to him. You know, the church has been fighting ADD for like, you know, thousands of years, you know. And um, one of the ways that I, I do this is in my pocket um, every day, usually for, I don't know, years and years, I keep a prayer rope. It's nothing complicated. It just has some knots in it. Pretty much every tradition and religion in the world, by the way, has something similar. Um, the most famous would be a... Catholic rosary. And it has some knots in it. And if I found myself getting too distracted, I just hold one of the knots. And I say a simple Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And when my mind gets distracted again, I just move to the next knot. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. You know, there, there's, um, I think, a larger movement in the church to try to help us grow this way. 
And there's some people that would be very helpful um, if you're interested in growing. Someone like uh, Ruth Haley Barton, um, maybe the most prolific author on this. By the way, she's a lot of fun. Um, I really appreciate her. Um, really good podcasts out there, good books. Um, Rich Viotis, a young pastor, um, Puerto Rican pastor in, um, in Queens, New York. Um, fantastic uh, young man, really sharp. Um, and then uh, John Mark Comer, maybe our congregation is more familiar with. He was discipled by John Orberg, who's discipled by um, Dallas Willard. So strong tradition there. Um, by the way, I, I tend to do podcasts over books well, because that way when they're, I can be driving my car quickly, trying to cut you off and trying to not let you know that I'm your pastor and cutting you off at the same time while I'm listening to Ruth Haley Barton talk about living in peace and silence. And <laughs> all of that works together. And, um, you know, maybe those would be helpful for you. But we need to grow there to find space to just be with the God who's not asking us to earn or achieve, but to just sit with him. Job, most famously, when life is crashing in on him, he, he tends to talk about silence. When his friends show up, his friends, a lot over here, they, they have a lot of things that they want to tell him. Job says in chapter 13, if you would... If, you, if only you would be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. If only you would be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. Or when God shows up in chapter 40, it says, Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Like right now, God, in front of you, my reply is going to be to be silent with you. Maybe in the next two weeks as we're praying and fasting, you can take time to be silent with God, to help him grow, to help him let you grow and just being able to be with him. Thomas Merton, who... Um, uh, Catholic Trappist monk from Kentucky. By the way, I always feel like it loses something when I say he's from Kentucky. Like, you know, if I say he's a, he's a Catholic Trappist monk from Macedonia, people are like, oh. When I'm like Catholic Trappist monk from Kentucky, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't know they did that over there, right? And uh, so rich, so sweet. He talks about people that don't know how to be silent, like someone that can't sit down in their own home. Have you ever been to someone's house and they're always like, can I get you anything to eat? Do you need anything to drink? Can you help me unload the dishwasher? Have you met my dog? Let's paint the wall. Let's, you know, and you're like, stop. And, and he's learning to be silent is like being able to sit down in your own home that God's given you and just be at peace. Are you comfortable with yourself like that? I had a friend say, if you can't walk around naked in your own home, is it really yours? He's a bit of a hippie, but, you know, are you comfortable in your own home? That's a weird way to end a sermon, Brett. I should have said that earlier. <laughs> Let's just take a minute. Psalm 131. By the way, I would highly recommend that you memorize this. It's only 
three verses. You can memorize it this week, and you can tell your friends if you need a little hit of self-righteousness. Tell your friends you memorized a whole psalm. They'll be like, you're holy, right? It'll be great. But Psalm 131, learn this one. Learn this one. Memorize it. Get it in your bones. So let's just take a minute. Maybe if it helps you, close your eyes. Breathe. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Lord Jesus, when you are quiet, I want to learn how to be with you in that. And God, when you are inviting us into silence, I want to follow you to be able to sit with you in the mystery. And Jesus, as as these people consider in their prayer and fasting this week where they might set aside self-gratification and getting what they want, especially with food. And they, we, they would engage, we would engage in self-denial. That we would set aside some time to just be a soul before God and nothing else. And as we get distracted, maybe we could just say your name and come back to you. Lead us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. We hope you're doing great. We're so glad that you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We love you and we hope to see you again soon.